This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in into UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Nick Godois, UBS APAC Tech Strategist, and in this episode, we are going to be taking a look at the progresses made on 5G. I'm joined by Navin Kira, Head of Asia Telecoms, Media and Internet Research. So Navin, almost three years on now, where are we in terms of 5G networks deployment and where has it been slower than expected and in line or faster than what we expected? Thank you, Nick. Um, yeah, so look, I would say um, in Asia, the two countries that have led the deployment of 5G are Korea and China. Um, in fact, these countries are leading it globally as well. Um, uh, we have been seeing network rollouts from 2019. Uh, and as we speak, we are probably looking at 60-70% population coverage in both of these markets. I think 2021 is going to be uh, an even more pivotal year for 5G because several other regions and markets are getting to roll out. Hong Kong, Singapore, Japan, Australia, Thailand, Taiwan. We're going to see 5G deployment in all of these markets. Um, and then globally, US uh, has obviously had the mid-band auctions completed. Uh, and in Europe as well, several countries are now about to launch. So overall, I think 2021 is going to be a very critical year. Uh, I think to your question in terms of rollout speeds, I would say overall, the speeds have been in line with what uh, we had highlighted in our Q series last year. Um, so we are looking at about 18 to 20% penetration by the end of 2024. Um, I think one of the things to probably also highlight in terms of the speed of adoption is that um, several markets need um, mid-band spectrum to do 5G. Uh, and that spectrum uh, in several countries is still being used for satellite TV. Uh, and so the governments have to figure out a way to go through that transition before they can start deploying 5G. And to follow up, what has been the feedback from telecom operators and more importantly, and users? Have we found any killer applications yet for 5G? Uh, I would say the answer to that is mixed. Um, so clearly the speed experience is better. There's a lot of speed tests that we have done in partnership with uh, UBS Evidence Lab. And we are seeing doubling to tripling of speeds in, in markets where 5G has been deployed for more than six months. Uh, the customer satisfaction levels are decent based on all the consumer surveys that we have done as well. And this is particularly important given the impact of COVID, which has resulted in people using a lot more data. Uh, and so having a faster network ha has helped. But I would say to answer your question in terms of killer apps, not really. Um, I guess the only killer app really is faster data, uh, important in itself, uh, but apart from, I guess, 5 to 10% of customers who are very serious gamers, uh, we have not really found a very strong differentiating use case for 5G as such. I guess uh, to follow up, uh, one important question, Nick, is the technology ready now for 5G smartphones? Where do you think we are now? Yes, thanks, Naveen. Um, so, uh, 
we're now three years into uh, the 5G uh, rollout and therefore in the third generation of uh, 5G smartphones already. And as you know, there is an important uh, difference between sub-6 gigahertz technology and a millimeter wave. For sub-6 gigahertz, actually, uh, our analysis is that technology is maturing somewhat faster than we would have hoped for, uh, which is obviously good news. Uh, integration is progressing and costs are coming down. Um, but a millimeter wave, which has been deployed a lot less so far, remains a lot more immature. And uh, some of the technology requirements like hybrid beamforming are still very challenging uh, from a form factor, a cost, uh, and a performance perspective, uh, which means that smartphone uh, vendors so far still have to make trade-offs uh, in order to offer uh, millimeter wave devices. So all in all, uh, good report card on sub-60 Hz, uh, but millimeter wave can do better. Link, these technologies add costs. What do you estimate these cost add-ons for smartphones and where are they heading? I'm glad you asked, Navin, because we actually tore down 33 different smartphones 4G and 5G uh, to come to uh, hopefully the right conclusion. Our analysis ind indicates that we have about um, uh, $18 to $25 uh, cost addition for a sub-6 gigahertz smartphone currently versus a 4G device. So for a high-end smartphone, actually, that's okay. Uh, for a mid-range smartphone, it's still challenging. But the good news is that integration is progressing and we should have by next year only five to ten dollar cost add-on per device, and that means that uh, sub six gigahertz should be in a position to be mass market reasonably quickly from here. Now, for millimeter wave, as I said earlier, uh, technology is indeed still more challenging. So here, the cost add-on versus 4G is still north for fifty US dollar, and this is not guaranteeing that actually the smartphone will work seamlessly using that technology. By next year, we think uh, this cost add-on will be about $30 to $37. So again, we're getting there, but a, a lot uh, more uh, slowly uh, than what we may have hoped for. Uh, so Navin, considering those expected cost declines, are smartphone users likely to be more receptive to 5G going forward? Yeah, I think based on most of the consumer surveys that we have done, Nick, um, it does look like customers have high willingness to try 5G. Um, so in a consumer survey in China that was actually done about two months ago, 90% uh, of non-subscribers are interested in subscribing to 5G and 78% of them actually want to do that in the next 12 months. In Singapore and Thailand, where the history of 5G is shorter than China, still 50 to 70% of respondents are actually interested in trying, to, uh, in, in trying 5G. An important point I would highlight here, though, Nick, and I think that's uh, important in the context of your question, is that when we ask the non-interested users the reasons for not subscribing, it's the package price, which is a bigger hurdle than the handset price. So 51% of non-respondents are concerned about the package price versus only 30% who are concerned about the handset price. So to your point, it does look like handset is becoming less and less of a hurdle in terms of 5G adoption. So with that, what does it mean for our proof for the telcos then? Well, it's a million dollar question, no? Um, so, I mean, generally telcos in the region are trying to get roughly 10 to 20% increase in ARPU as they migrate customers from 4G to 5G. As I mentioned before, um, the package price is a bottleneck. And so something 
uh, the telcos have to be careful about. Um, what we've seen in Korea and China, which are the two markets with the longest history of 5G adoption, uh, there is an acceleration of revenue from decline of low single digits to a positive growth of low single digits, which is obviously attributable partly to 5G-related ARPU increase. I think back to these consumer surveys that I was referring to earlier, by and large, most of the people who have interest in subscribing to 5G uh, are willing to pay about 5 to 10 US dollars more. In some markets, probably at the low end of that, uh, for example, in China, where we're looking at 10 RMB. So overall, I would say uh, by the time we're done with migration, which is still three, five years out, uh, we should be able to get between 10 to 20% increase in ARPU. So putting it all together, Nick, I mean, what are our forecasts for 5G smartphones? Um, is it really accretive to smartphones demand as well as component revenues? Yes. Yeah, so considering, uh, Navin, the uh, price declines, we're focusing on what you said uh, on the interest from uh, smartphone users. Um, the way we look at it is that uh, 5G volumes for smartphones will grow quite strongly. But this is not to say that 5G is accretive to smartphone unit demand overall. So in other words, we don't think there is enough evidence to suggest 5G is really accelerating the overall smartphone refresh cycle here. Uh, but uh, it's obviously still accretive to ASPs for some time. Uh, and we assess uh, that all in all, that means that it should add about 9% to total smartphone revenues over the next five years. So still pretty meaningful. Uh, however, as it is adding cost, potentially, um, it could also imply uh, that uh, margins from smartphone OEMs could come under pressure as they digest for the 5G cost. Um, in terms of component revenues, uh, we estimate that for the smartphone exposure, we should add about 5% in total over the next uh, five years. And if you were to zoom in specifically on radio frequency uh, semiconductor components um, for uh, smartphones, uh, here, of course, the uh, addition is uh, a lot higher at about 24%. And regarding uh, smartphone uh, units, we think that 5G should reach this year about 442 million units, next year 670 million units, uh, and uh, by 2025, uh, about 80% of total uh, smartphone shipments. So in conclusion, pretty strong growth. Uh, but we think, uh, I think you and I, but the conclusion in terms of what it means for the sector uh, are probably a little bit more subtle uh, than just assuming that you know, 5G will, quote unquote, change it all. Well, thank you for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. And that was an introduction overview of 5G and where we believe it is heading. Uh, with me, Nick Godoa, uh, APAC uh, Tech Strategist for UBS and Navin Kira, Head of uh, Asia Telecom Media and Internet Research. Tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content. It has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, or tax purpose.
This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2021. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS, all rights reserved.